that, that's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. The big cost of the big lie. A jury orders Rudy Giuliani to pay nearly $150 million to the Georgia election workers he defamed in the aftermath of the 2020 election. The attorney for Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss is going to join me live. Plus, the four times indicted Republican frontrunner is once again echoing the anti-immigrant language of Adolf Hitler. But House Republicans seem much more concerned about their feckless impeachment inquiry into President Biden. I'll ask Congressman Joe Neguse about all of it. Also today, as Kate Cox flees Texas to get an abortion, Ted Cruz flees from reporters when he's asked about her story. But this isn't a messaging problem. It's a policy problem. And later, my conversation with the families of hostages taken captive by Hamas. I'll ask them about their meeting with President Biden this week, their frustrations, and how they find hope during the most difficult moment of their lives. Ever since Donald Trump entered the political spotlight years ago, it's kind of seemed like he never really pays a price for all the lies he's spread. At times, his conspiracy theories have taken hold so fast, so fast, they outpace the ability to even fact-check them. Just as often, his disregard for the truth has been so completely out there and so unbelievable, it was simply dismissed. For so long, Trump avoided consequences for lying and spouting baseless conspiracy theories. Others saw that, and guess what? They followed. Look no further than the aftermath of the 2020 election, when his allies in Congress, his closest advisors, and the conservative media all took and ran with his conspiracies, many of them knowing full well they weren't true at all. All of that helped spark the attack on our nation's capital on January 6th and an explosion of threats and political violence that followed and has continued, which makes this moment in history so scary, but also so important because we're finally starting to see some signs of accountability, some. Hundreds of January 6th rioters have been prosecuted in the largest investigation in the Justice Department's history. Fox News paid out an astronomical sum of $787 million in a settlement over pushing election lies. And on Friday, just two days ago, a jury hit one of Donald Trump's top conspiracy peddlers, Rudy Giuliani, with a jaw-dropping $148 million penalty as the result of a defamation suit brought by Georgia election workers Shay Moss and Ruby Freeman. If you watch the hearings in, in, on the January 6th committee, then you definitely remember these two women. They struck me. I still remember them, who were the targets of a baseless smear campaign that Trump and Giuliani pushed after the 2020 election. It's turned my life upside down. Um, I no longer give out my business card. I don't transfer calls. I um, don't want anyone knowing my name. I don't want to go anywhere with my mom because she might yell my name out over the grocery aisle or something. There is nowhere I feel safe. Nowhere. Do you know how it feels to have 
the president of the United States to target you? There's nowhere I feel safe. The jury's $148 million judgment is a reminder that actions do have consequences. And as their lead attorney, Michael Gottlieb, told the jury in his closing arguments, it should send a message to Giuliani or, quote, to any other powerful figure with a platform and an audience who is considering whether they will take the chance to seek profit and fame by assassinating the moral character of ordinary people. Hopefully those who would try and use lies to erode our democracy and hurt others now see approximately 148 million reasons not to. Joining me now is the attorney for Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman, Michael Gottlieb. Uh, first of all, congratulations. I'm sure I was not the only one who was screaming, you know, excitement when this when this came down, uh, given everything these women have been through. And I just wanted to start by playing one of the moments that really struck me, because it was such a reminder from Ruby Freeman when she talked after the judgment. This was a reminder of the damage that has already been done. So let's take a listen to that. I want people to understand this. Money will never solve all of my problems. I can never move back into the house that I called home. I will always have to be careful about where I go and who I choose to share my name with. I miss my home. I miss my neighbors. And I miss my name. I mean, listening to that, it's just so important to remember, as, as you've experienced working with them, that their lives have already been irreversibly impacted. So did Friday's judgment bring them some peace and any sense of justice, even, even with what we just heard Ruby say? Yeah, and thanks for having me on, Jen. Um, it, it did. I think that it brought an immense amount of vindication uh, validation, uh, a sense that they um, they took the chance, a big chance, in filing the lawsuit and subjecting themselves to discovery and cross-examination, opening themselves up to being questioned by Rudy Giuliani's lawyers um, under oath, and uh, did all that, and to know that their story was heard, um, that other people felt it and understood it and appreciated it, and that um, the worth of their dignity and their reputations was recognized by, uh, by a jury. Uh, I think it was a, a special moment for them. Obviously, there's still a lot of work to be done. And as you heard Ruby say, um, you know, nothing is ever going to be able to replace having the life that you've chosen taken mm -hmm. away from you or ripped away from you. Um, but it, but it was a really important moment, I think, for Ruby and Shay, and also I think for all of the election workers and civil servants out there uh, who who may be worried that this kind of thing could happen to them. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things she also said, she kind of made mention of the fact that Rudy Giuliani wasn't the only person who had defamed them. And when she said that, I was thinking, I'm sure I was not alone. Well, who's next? Who are they going to take on next or who who will be sued next? So who's next? They have another uh, lawsuit that's still pending against a, a publication uh, in Missouri that uh, was also very much involved in um, spreading some of these defamatory lies around about them sort of early and often. Um, and then, you know, of course, if people continue to take the chance or opportunity uh, to repeat these lies, uh, they'll hear from us. And I, I think 
Uh, we even heard Rudy Giuliani out on the air on Friday and, and over the weekend. And, and if he <laughs> continues to roll the dice uh, by telling the same lies that have been uh, now debunked by Georgia election officials, by everyone who's ever investigated the matter and now proven to be false in a court of law, uh, where he had the full opportunity throughout the litigation to bring forth any evidence that he, he thought he had uh, and couldn't do so. Um, if he continues to roll the dice on this, uh, he'll hear from us, too. Will Donald Trump hear from you guys? I mean, Donald Trump was a, a co-conspirator in this case, as found by uh, the court and by the jury. So he's already been uh, adjudicated in, this, uh, in the case that, where we just had this jury verdict as a co-conspirator in uh, Mr. Giuliani's uh, efforts for which the jury awarded this, uh, this jury verdict. So, um, you know, I think, uh, like I said before, and, I, and this isn't uh, specific to Donald Trump or anybody else, but, but anyone else who wants to take this as an opportunity to try to go out and tell these same lies about uh, these heroes, um, they, they'll hear from us. Mike Gottlieb, thank you for what you did with these women. Thank you to these women for being so brave. The impact on their lives was astronomical. Um, and again, congratulations on the ruling on Friday. Thank you for being with me this afternoon. Let's continue this conversation with our in-house law firm. Neil Katziel is the former acting U.S. Solicitor General. Andrew Weissman is the former general counsel at the FBI and a senior member of special counsel Robert Mueller's team. It's great to be back with both of you. So, Andrew, I want to start with you. I mean, there is a, a real question here, which I don't think any of us know the answer to, as to how much money Giuliani actually has, what he'll be able to pay for. Um, were you surprised by the judgment? And, and what, were, what are kind of the options for figuring that out and getting some of this money to these women? Well, regardless of whether there's any money, in terms of its deterrent effect on Rudy Giuliani and his ilk, it is an important judgment. Um, and as you mentioned, the bravery of these two women, like the bravery of E. Jean Carroll, to not be just victims, but to um, seek legal accountability is important, regardless of whether they ever see a dime of the judgment. Um, but um, Mr. Gottlieb is going to be just as tenacious in terms of finding any assets of Mr. Giuliani. And remember, even if he goes into bankruptcy, this kind of judgment um, is not wiped out by bankruptcy. So um, they're entitled to continue looking and to take depositions and discovery. It's important to remember that one of the reasons that Rudy Giuliani was in the position he was in is because he was con in contempt over and over again when Beryl Howell, the judge on the case, ordered discovery to be mutual. And he just did not participate. He didn't mm -hmm. say where his assets were. He didn't say anything about that. If he continues to do that, the one thing that the judge has not yet done but can do is put him in jail. Um, yeah. So there are still remedies for the judge to make sure that every um, every asset he has is disclosed and if not to take action. I mean, Michael Gottlieb, I've known him a long time. He's very tenacious. I wouldn't want to face any of you in a, in a court, so I'm not going to put myself <laughs> in that position. So, Neil, one of the questions I've been wondering, I mean, there, there was a startling numbers in terms of the amount of money that Giuliani had to pay lawyers just for this case. And he's, of course, facing civil suits from Smartmatic, Dominion Voting Systems, as well as from Hunter Biden. I mean, others I, I may be missing here, a former assistant. 
his his amount his money he would have to pay lawyers which could be in the millions right is that something he'll still be allowed to do even as he owes these women 148 million dollars so first of all i just want to say when i look at these women jen i just you know i see really the best of america i mean it's mm-hmm. it's important to remember these were like poll worker. These are people working on election integrity, and they just got swept up in this and all of these lies and so on. And thanks to Michael Gottlieb's tenacity and the tenacity of these women, finally, there's some accountability. There still hasn't really been any accountability for Donald Trump, but we're starting to see it with Trump's minions, whether it be Fox or Giuliani um, or the like. Um, You know, with respect to the dollars, uh, you know, I do think that Giuliani can pay some attorney's fees. That's, you know, the, the bankruptcy law permits. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but past that, Andrew's absolutely right that um, because these are what we call intentional torts, bankruptcy mm. can't stay the proceedings. And, you know, Giuliani will have to put up an appeal bond. Is it going to be, does he have $148 million? No, I'm not even sure that Rudy Giuliani can afford to pay for Four Seasons landscaping right now, let alone... <laughs> $48 billion. Um, but nonetheless, I think whatever he's got is now going to be seized uh, by these two plaintiffs. That's a real throwback there, Neil. I like, I like what you did there. So, Andrew, I mean, this is a civil judgment, a big one. Um, but the big question here, is there any implications from this for his criminal case? Like, for instance, does this increase the pressure on him to cooperate with Fonnie Willis, given there's obviously an overlap in what he did here? Well, there are implications in that the prosecutors can see how a jury assessed their credibility and how they did as uh, plaintiffs. Because remember, um, civil and criminal are working in parallel. And the allegations that um, are with respect to um, Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss are at the center of some of the charges in Georgia. And they are also part of the criminal case in D.C., Mm -hmm. Um, So these two women will be witnesses in both of those cases. Um, And so the prosecutors clearly are going to look at that and think, okay, this will be a very strong part of the case. In terms of the pressure on on Rudy Giuliani to cooperate, I I would say at this point, I mean, there's been tons of pressure in terms Mm -hmm. of the criminal case, in terms of the monetary damages. I think the bigger issue is I don't think that um, if I were a prosecutor, he would be high on my list of people to cooperate. As you pointed out, Jen, he continued to tell lies and to Mm -hmm. defame these women um, uh, through the trial um, that he just lost. So this is not the kind of candidate who you want to cooperate. Um, He will see his criminal day in court. A jury will decide. And if he ends up getting convicted and go to jail, I, I mean, it'll be a very sad day in terms of the demise of Rudy Giuliani, but he will get what he deserves. That That's right. It's quite a journey he has taken. Uh, Neil Katiel, Andrew Weissman, thank you as always for joining me and for informing us so much on these cases. Coming up, Donald Trump once again echoes the language of Adolf Hitler with some of the most offensive anti-immigrant language there is. Congressman Joe Neguse is the son of immigrants, and I'm going to ask him how Democrats should be pushing back. And later, Senator Ted Cruz runs away from an NBC reporter. We'll show you the question, the non-answer, and talk about what it all means. We're back. Hey, did you know there's a little pink pill? Wait, a what? A little pink pill? Did you say a little pink pill? Yes, the little pink pill. You definitely need to know about this. Are you for real? Just to be clear, you're telling me there's a little pink pill? 
For me? That's right. The Little Pink Pill. And it's called Addy. A-D-D-Y-I. Or Flibanserin. Learn more about The Little Pink Pill at A-D-D-Y-I.com. See full prescribing information and medication guide, including boxed warning regarding severe low blood pressure and fainting in certain settings at Addy.com slash P-I. Or call 844-PINK-PILL. Good news, ladies. There's more. Addy, the FDA-approved Little Pink Pill, is also affordable and can be shipped directly to your front door. That's right. With insurance coverage, Addy is only $20 per month and $0 after month three. If your insurance doesn't cover Addy, there is still a discount program to get you the best possible price and get free shipping right to your door. So now's the time to ask your doctor about Addy. Learn more at Addy.com. That's A-D-D-Y-I.com. After a quick break. This week has put on full display the ways in which our country is living in two completely different realities. There is one reality, let's call it Earth, where there is deep concern right now about a four times indicted former president who yesterday continued to echo the language of Adolf Hitler, of all people, by saying immigrants are, quote, poisoning the blood of our country. Here on Earth, there were some big developments this week in one of the criminal cases involving that former president the one where he's accused of trying to overturn a democratic election. Oh, and I should note that here on Earth, there was also some good economic news, with the Dow hitting a new record high and an announcement that the Federal Reserve is planning to cut interest rates next year. But there is, of course, also an alternate reality right now, one in which none of that matters. In this alternate reality, President Biden is plunging the United States into a depression, even though, again, the Dow just hit a record high, In this alternate reality, President Biden's age alone makes him unfit to serve, while Trump, I would know, just three years younger, is somehow seen as the epitome of strength and vitality. And in this alternate reality, it is the current president, Joe Biden, who is now the subject of an impeachment inquiry for a mysterious and sprawling scandal no one can explain involving bribery and corruption. Now, there is, of course, no evidence at all to suggest that any of it is true, But that is still the story that is being mainlined into a huge portion of the country right now. The White House cranking up the spin cycle after a whirlwind 24 hours for America's foreign cash-guzzling father-son duo. Biden family bagman Hunter is also deeply dishonest. The apple really doesn't fall far from the tree. Grift is the Biden family business. The Bidens are like the Sopranos without any of the humor. This is the most corrupt family in the history of the country. This is a Joe Biden scandal. This is going to be ugly and it's going to be it's going to prove that they were dirty, that what they were doing is collecting money with the United States being for sale. It's like a never ending loop of lies and complete innuendo echoing throughout the homes, though, of millions of Americans every single day. But at least Republicans are owning up to one thing. Their motivation. I mean, they're being crystal clear when it comes to what this is all really about, and that's politics, hurting President Biden and, of course, helping Donald Trump. This has been, I think, the most transparent uh, political or, or, or congressional investigation since since I've been in Congress for seven years. I think if we don't go down these impeachment routes, a huge part of America is is going to just say, you know, we're not supporting Republicans anymore. There's, you know, this this other issue um, of whether Joe Biden was involved in his in his son's business dealing that I think the American people are looking at as well. So I think all that together is why you see the numbers where they're at. What are you hoping to gain from an impeachment inquiry? 
All I can see is Donald J. Trump 2024, baby. They're not even whispering that in the hallways. They're shouting the quiet part out loud on television over and over again. But their strategy to muddy the waters, to distract from Trump's very real criminal charges, and to make everyone seem equally corrupt, it's kind of working. And it isn't constructive to deny that. A new NPR poll shows that 78 percent of Republicans are in favor of the impeachment proceedings against Joe Biden. Impeachment proceedings, again, with zero evidence. So that is where we are right now, less than a year out from the election. We're not just dealing with a clash of ideas or policies, some of that, too, but of two completely different realities. One reality where the concerns are about the wannabe dictator echoing Adolf Hitler, that's happening, and one reality where the concerns are completely fabricated. This week, Democratic Congressman Joe Neguse put a spotlight on just how hollow this impeachment inquiry really is. And he joins me live next. Every single House Republican voted this week to move forward with the impeachment inquiry into President Biden. So Congressman Joe Neguse had a very simple question, sounded like one to me, for one of them. Let's just say he did not get a very simple answer back. What is the specific constitutional crime that you're investigating? Well, we're having an inquiry, so we can do an investigation. It okay. All the production of witnesses. <laughs> and what is and, the crime and, you're investigating? And documents. High crimes, misdemeanors, and bribery. What high crime and misdemeanor are you investigating? Look, I, I will, once I get time, I will explain what we're looking at. And Congressman Nagus joins me now. Well, I have to say watching that, which I've watched a few times, it's very cringy to watch that. Uh, but I do want to ask you about that new poll I just mentioned, because despite the fact that this is completely baseless, the poll shows that 78 percent of Republicans are in favor of impeachment proceedings. So I want to ask you, does that concern you? And what do you what fact do you think is not translating here to people or what detail is not translating to people out there? Well, it's good to be with you, Jen. Uh, certainly that concerns me, but I would say it's more a reflection of the extremism that has metastasized within the Republican Party. And most of the empirical data that I've seen suggests that independent voters uh, do not, uh, at the end of the day, uh, or rather are not tuning in to this farce of a process that mm -hmm. Republicans have initiated against President Biden. Uh, my sense is that most Americans care about kitchen table issues, economic growth, uh, rising costs, building safer communities, all of which House Democrats have been uh, singularly focused on with, of course, the leadership of President Biden. So, no, I, I think as this process unfolds, you will find that more and more Americans uh, will register their objections to it because they recognize what you stated at the outset, which is that Republicans have conceded they are doing this for political purposes. I mean, they're not they're unabashed about the fact that they are doing this as a political exercise uh, to exact retribution against President Trump and or excuse me, President Biden on behalf of President Trump. And for no other reason, I think the American people get it. Yeah, to your point, I mean, there's such an overreach possibility here. I mean, we've seen, if you go back to the 90s, when President Clinton was impeached, of course, that was also a different scenario. But there was, I mean, there had a political impact. Do you think there's the potential for Democrats to kind of rally around the president and rally together uh, against this overreach politically? I certainly think, uh, yeah, look, I, I do not think that this uh, process is going to inure to the benefit of Republicans. But uh, more important than that, uh, Jen, is the reality that this is uh, doing deep damage, in my view, to our republic. It's a distortion of the impeachment clause 
in our Constitution. Uh, you, you played the exchange from the mm -hmm. Rules Committee, uh, which was, of course, revealing and instructive. The fact that they can't articulate a cogent basis for impeachment, the fact that they can't point to any connection to the constitutional standard for impeachment, which, of course, as you know, is an exacting standard. The last impeachment uh, that we had, of course, was the impeachment of former President Trump for inciting a violent mob mm. to disrupt the Electoral College proceedings on January 6th. That was a bipartisan impeachment. And so uh, the false equivalency that Republicans have attempted to create falls flat. And again, I think the American people recognize that. It's why when you look at empirical data, polling data, uh, it suggests that most Americans uh, do not consider this to be a priority. And if anything, agree that it will be a waste of time. They'd like to see Ed. the Congress get back to doing the basic work of governing. Yeah, the dangerous precedent piece is such an important point. I did want to ask you, I mean, speaking of Donald Trump, I mean, he's been echoing over and over again the language of dictators. He did that once again yesterday in a speech in New Hampshire where he repeated a really awful line he said before that immigrants are, quote, poisoning the blood of our country. I mean, we've heard him say it before, but it's important not to be numb to it, which is why I raise it. And so I want to ask you, as a son of immigrants yourself, what's your reaction to him using that rhetoric? It's offensive. It's deeply disturbing. I think it's disturbing to the vast majority of Americans, irrespective of whether uh, they, like me, happen to be a child of immigrants, as you reference. We, of course, are a nation of immigrants. And, you know, we are, in my view, at our best when we're a beacon of, of hope and, and liberty to the rest of the world. And so, while I mean, I don't watch Donald Trump's speeches, uh, but that mm. rhetoric uh, certainly, to me, is unsurprising. It's consistent with what um, he has engaged in in the past. It's a reminder and underscores just how dangerous a, a second term, a second presidency for Donald Trump would be for our country. And uh, perhaps is, again, another reminder of why next year's election will be the most pivotal, certainly in our lifetimes, and, and I believe perhaps in the last 100 years. Uh, I think that at the end of the day, most Americans uh, agree that we are at our best, as I said, as a beacon of hope. And certainly that's uh, far opposite to what uh, former President Trump was articulating last night. The, the House, of course, left for holiday recess without doing anything to fund the government. Um, they're coming back in January. There's a January 19th timeline there. How likely do you think there's going to be a government shutdown? Is that something people should be preparing for over the holidays? Well, we're certainly going to do everything in our power as House Democrats to uh, avert that outcome. Uh, I wish I had a better answer for you, Jen. The reality mm -hmm. is House Republicans in the last year, I mean, they tried to shut down the government twice, but for the support of House Democrats, uh, they would have accomplished that objective. They also, of course, almost plunged the, the country into a default on our debt, which would have been catastrophic. The only thing of consequence or substance that they did in the last 12 months was expel George Santos, and they required Democratic votes to achieve that. So I'm not optimistic uh, that mm -hmm. given the way in which House Republicans have conducted themselves, uh, that uh, we will see some light at the end of the tunnel with respect to the government funding deadline. We're going to put people over politics and do everything we can to find common ground and uh, ensure that the government is funded. Uh, but as you said, uh, it is, uh, it's, you know, if past is prologue, clearly there's much to be concerned about. Congressman Joe Nagus, my sister's member of Congress, thank you so much for joining me. Happy holidays to you. And coming up next, Republicans get a little tongue-tied as the impact of their draconian abortion policies get a name and a face. And later, my conversation with three brave families on a mission to bring all of the hostages home from Gaza. Addie. Hey, did you know there's a little pink pill? Wait. A what? A little pink pill? Did you say a little pink pill? Yes, the little pink pill. You definitely need to know about this. Are you for real? Just to be clear, you're telling me there's a little pink pill? 
For me? That's right. The Little Pink Pill. And it's called Addy. A-D-D-Y-I. Or Flavanserin. Learn more about The Little Pink Pill at A-D-D-Y-I.com. See full prescribing information and medication guide, including boxed warning regarding severe low blood pressure and fainting in certain settings at Addy.com slash P-I. Or call 844-PINK-PILL. Good news, ladies. There's more. Addy, the FDA-approved Little Pink Pill, is also affordable and can be shipped directly to your front door. That's right. With insurance coverage, Addy is only $20 per month and $0 after month three. If your insurance doesn't cover Addy, there is still a discount program to get you the best possible price and get free shipping right to your door. So now's the time to ask your doctor about Addy. Learn more at Addy.com. That's A-D-D-Y-I.com. We're back after a quick break. When it comes to abortion rights in America, Republicans don't have a messaging problem. They have a policy problem. See, Republicans like to go on and on about various proposals on abortion, like Nikki Haley's vague call for a national consensus or Lindsey Graham and Glenn Youngkin's, quote, reasonable 15-week limit, their words, not mine. But here's the reality. None of these policies would have helped Kate Cox, who was forced to flee the state of Texas to receive an abortion after her fetus was diagnosed with a life-threatening disorder. And after she was informed by her doctors that carrying her pregnancy to term could jeopardize her future fertility. She wants a big family. So the Texas Supreme Court ruled against granting Kate Cox an exception, and she had to leave the state to get the health care she needed. And now the city of Amarillo is even considering an ordinance to ban out-of-state travel for an abortion. And Kate's story is just the tip of the iceberg in a country that no longer has the constitutional right to an abortion. In Kentucky, where there's a nearly total ban on abortion without exceptions for rape or incest, a pregnant woman just filed a lawsuit demanding her right to an abortion. In Ohio, a woman was just criminally charged for the, quote, abuse of a corpse after she survived a nearly, a potentially fatal miscarriage. Brittany Watts was still recovering from her miscarriage, hooked up to an IV, when a detective came to her hospital bed and interrogated her for over an hour about her non-viable fetus. So make no mistake, when Republican officials lean into a state's rights argument as the answer for abortion policy, these are the stories that will result. And when it comes to Texas specifically, Senators John Cornyn and Ted Cruz have long supported incredibly restrictive abortion policy. You don't favor a rape or an incest exception to abortion. They think you may be too, too far right on social issues. Rape is a horrific crime against the humanity of a person and needs to be punished and punished severely. But at the same time, as horrible as that crime is, I don't believe it's the child's fault. Would you support any kind of federal legislation to at least have protections for the health of the mother in cases like rape and incest and other things like that? I think those decisions should be made uh, by the elected representatives of the people back in the various states. Um, and uh, I think that's the, that's the uh, correct answer. Here's the thing. When a story like Kate Cox's puts a human face on the draconian policies they support, they get much less talkative. Are you worried about women in your state whose health may be at risk by Texas laws like Kate Cox? Well, I'm a federal uh, official. But this is something that's happened in your state. So I'm not going to comment on what uh, state officials are doing. Do you agree with Attorney General Braxton's actions and what he did? Just call her press. I have. I actually haven't received an answer. So is there anything that you'd like to say right now on this? Call her press. 
Their tongues are tied because it's no longer about crafting an effective message. They're being confronted with the reality that their policies are forcing women to suffer, and their policies are the result of a very fixed idea that women should not be able to have complete control over their own bodies. And their silence tells us how little they care. Coming up, my conversation with the families of American hostages who met with President Biden this week to continue to push for progress in negotiations to bring their loved ones home. We'll be right back. It's been 71 days since Hamas launched a terrorist attack on Israel, killing an estimated 1,200 people. Another 240 men, women, and children were taken into Gaza as hostages. During a seven-day pause in fighting that began last month, about 100 of those hostages were released. But since then, the fighting has only intensified. And for the first time this week, President Biden described the bombing campaign as, quote, indiscriminate, urging Israel to proceed more carefully. According to local health officials, more than 18,000 Palestinians have been killed since the beginning of this war, 70 percent of whom are women and children. Meanwhile, about 135 hostages are still being held. And on Friday, the IDF announced that three of them were mistakenly killed by Israeli troops, even though one was carrying a stick with a white cloth on it. Hundreds of people gathered in Tel Aviv last night, calling on Prime Minister Netanyahu to make a deal for the release of the remaining hostages. While all of that is unfolding and the families of those hostages are grieving, the families of those still in captivity continue to do everything in their power to bring their loved ones home. On Wednesday, the president met with the families of Americans being held hostage. And the next day, I got the chance to sit down with three of the families whose lives have been shattered since October 7th, when their loved ones were taken captive. I wanted to start by asking you to talk about your loved ones who are still being held by Hamas or who have, of course, returned in your case, Liz, because it's so important for people to understand these are human beings um, and people who have lived lives and uh, hopefully will continue to. Tell us about your loved one. Omar was born uh, in New York City 22 years ago, a month after 9-11. Omar's a very optimistic kid. He's the kid that's going to break the ice. You know, he loves people. And we really hope that it's keeping him take, keeping him strong there. You know, that kind of part of him that's optimistic and, and happy and that he's a, be able to maintain that. Really hope. Dan uh, and uh, uh, his sister actually grew up here in Maryland, 20 minutes from this building, and he was uh, kidnapped from the uh, army post. The post was surrounded by 20 Hamas terrorists, and he had to surrender. He called me right before they, they took him, and uh, just to tell me that I was hearing all the bombing, and he told me, Mom, I'm, I'm okay. Um, I'm seeing uh, scary things. Uh, he spoke... Um, yeah really fast and then I said to him okay please Idan be safe I love you and and that's it and you've been out there ever since telling people about him so that they remember who he is I know Abigail is back home uh, she went through quite an ordeal um, you described her sorry I have, I, have a, I have a son who's the same age about a little older older um, you described her as a light kind of a light in the world, which is such an um, amazing visual at this time where people are celebrating Hanukkah 
around the country and around the world. Tell us a little bit about how she's doing and how her siblings are doing. Well, Abigail is a light, and we are blessed that she did come back after 50 days um, as a hostage. I was in Israel last week, and I got to play and just be with Abigail and her siblings, and her siblings also. They, they, they have been put in under the torture of seeing their parents being murdered. Uh, but what we all know is that when we give love and when children are loved and they are embraced by grandparents and aunts and uncles and by community, that is going to be what can give them an opportunity for a beautiful life. You all visited the White House yesterday with President Biden, and I obviously worked for him for some time, and I certainly know that there's sensitivity about what you can and cannot talk about. But tell me a little bit about that meeting. We really thanked him for, you know, his leadership role and his administration uh, in bringing uh, close to 100 hostages back. We're really happy for their families. Uh, it's mostly women and, and children, uh, which we are thrilled that are together with their families. But we're also wanting our men uh, and the rest of the hostages to come back. And we urged his administration to do whatever they can and pull any leverage they have to, uh, to bring us closer to this point where we're going to be together with our son. There was a cease of uh, military action and a number of hostages who were released over 100. Since then, there's obviously been military action that has resumed. Do any of you wish that that had not resumed? I'm just going to say it's 70 days. I'm a mom, I'm an adult, and I'm waiting. And it's super hard. It's it's, it's so hard to wait, but we need to be patient and to keep praying that it's going to happen, like we will have our reunion, but it's so hard. While it's really hard to talk about, I think we need to acknowledge that there are wounded people that arrived, were kidnapped, arrived in Gaza with a blown off arm, with bullet wounds, with illness. We don't believe they have been seen by anybody that is reputable. We know that the International Red Cross has not seen them. We know that Doctors Without Borders has not seen them. No humanitarian group has seen them. I know you said we have to be patient. We can't be patient anymore. These are our families. These could be your family. There's a lot of pressure on Israel, and, and probably on, with a good reason, to supply humanitarian support to, to Gaza. Mm -hmm. and to ease a little bit the pain of the, of the people there. Where is the humanitarian support to our kids? Who is visiting them? Who is making sure they're fed? They're getting water. They're getting air. Mm -hmm. right. Who is giving them medicine if they need it? Taking care of their wounds. We're talking still about 137 people, right? Yes. Elderly people still children in there, women, men. Who, who need to have access. Yes. Where is the world on that? This is where it all started. How come the Red Cross is not getting visitation rights? It was part of the agreement with Hamas. Israel fulfilled their side. How come Hamas is not letting the Red Cross come in as a neutral force just to see how the kids are doing, mm -hmm. how the elderly are doing? Give us a sign of life. We are stuck in October 7th. Almost 70 days without knowing 
where they are, how they're doing, are they wounded, what's going on? How can we let it go on like this? I did want to ask you if there's something you'd like to say to your son, if he could hear you right now. I just want to say that we love you. Uh, just be strong, be brave. Uh, we are coming to get you. Uh, people are working to Around get the clock you. And you're coming exactly, out. and you're coming out. Idanz is 19 years old. His uh, 20th birthday on December 29. So it's a two weeks from now. And uh, we would like to have him back by this date to be with uh, uh, his little brother that miss him. I know that. And uh, with his sister. Our goal is that they are home for Christmas. But our goal also is that nobody takes their foot off the gas pedal for the next 10, 11 days um, because they do need to come home. Go ahead. Tonight is the last night of Hanukkah. We've been praying for a lot of miracles. They haven't happened yet. Um, we have to keep our stories. Please help us keep their stories of all the hostages of our, our son and everyone. Front of, front of mind. Our boys are in the dark. It's holidays of light, both Hanukkah and Christmas. But our boys, are, uh, our families are in the dark. We need them out. My thanks to those brave families for spending some time with me this week who are just out there talking about their boys as much as they can. We're up next. We're going to show you a political ad that stopped me in my tracks when I saw it this week. We're back after a quick break. Every once in a while, there comes a political advertisement that is so provocative, so powerful, it has the power to break through political silos and really have stick with you. And this week, a new digital ad put out by two advocacy groups in Texas put a fine point on something that we and millions of others have been saying for years, that the problem of gun violence in this country is urgent, and it requires far more from our elected officials than thoughts and prayers. That's especially true now that firearms have become the leading cause of death among children in this country. So make no mistake, the ad you're about to see is disturbing. It's very hard to watch. But it speaks the truth about this issue in a moment when we desperately need it. And that's why we decided to end our show today by airing it in its entirety. My thoughts and prayers are with you. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts. Prayers. Thoughts and prayers! When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance. 
while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast.